0: Hello and welcome along to another episode of my favourite game from the Honest Football Podcast. This week we've got a very special guest and for the first time in this series we have a former England international. Nicky Shorey joins us, part of that brilliant Reading team in the Premier League in the mid-2000s. Also played in Europe for Aston Villa and played for the likes of West Brom afterwards as well. He talks to us about all of his footballing memories growing up in the professional game as well as his favourite matches of course. And tells us about some of the stories from behind the scenes during his career as well as what it was like to play for the international team. It was a wonderful insight, so I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. A big thanks to Nikki for coming on, as always. If you do enjoy it, please put a thumbs up on the video and subscribe to the channel for more interviews in the future. Okay, I'm delighted to be joined by Nikki now, and I'll start, as I always do, by asking people to go all the way back to the start of their footballing life. So, I want to go back to your first memory as a child. What's the first thing you remember about football?
1: Um... It's got to be with my dad and my brother, basically, playing in the garden. Um, my dad was a big big football person, uh, always involved with football, playing it or coaching or scouting. So um, he's a big influence on me and my brother at, at such a young age.
0: And I guess moving on a, a little bit after that, and I guess that's probably the most common one, but moving on, what's the first memory you remember watching football, whether it be on TV, at a football stadium, whichever? It's probably got to be... A Leighton Orient game. Uh, My dad
1: was working at Leighton Orient uh, when we were younger and uh, he used to take us over there because it it didn't cost us anything. So uh, it'd definitely be uh, going over to Brisbane Road uh, watching an Orient game.
0: And then I guess playing, talking growing up competitively, of course, you got into the the Orient Youth Academy and that's where you made your breakthrough. But what were your first memories playing football growing up at competitive level? I remember back back then, this,
1: the Sunday Leagues were so competitive, yeah, um, wow. especially around my area. I mean, I, I was sort of Essex, Redbridge, that area. And um, I mean, the amount of players from my age that come through around that area in Essex, you know, John Terry, Bobby Zamora, Paul Konchesky, Kemi it, Ledley King, J. Lloyd Samuel, Stuart Taylor. I mean, there were so many um, in that Essex team. It was, it was sort of scary, really, how <laughs> I many sort of went on and become professional.
0: I guess moving on to, to your youth career, talk a little bit about it's the bit that most fans don't know about is the is the youth academy aspect, going through to the first team, the process. So talk to us about how you how you went from being a youth academy player at Leighton Orient to eventually making that breakthrough as a first team player.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's the toughest period for any for any player I think, making that sort of progression from youth football to, to senior football. Um it's never, it's never easy. Um, I was, I was actually a, a centre midfielder all my youth career, um, and it wasn't until I was eighteen nineteen, and um, we had a reserve game. Didn't have a left back. Didn't have a left foot, left footed player. So I was the only left footed player, and I got, I got pushed to left back, and um, I've done okay on the day, and then I, I stayed there ever since. Um, so you know, little things like that. Sometimes you just, you need that sort of little bit of luck because, if I'd have stayed in centre midfield, who knows if I'd have progressed and had the career I did have but um yeah so um I I went to left back um and to to be honest I went to left back and then when I first got into the the senior team at Orient um I I ended up playing left midfield and probably more a little bit of both you know we had Matt Lockwood at the time who was probably the best left back in that division by far Uh, a lot of clubs after him at the time so I wasn't going to displace him (laughs) and a little bit of sort of trust as well when a youngster let's put him left midfield get him into the team and try and bed him in before we get him a uh, left back because obviously you know you need to be depended upon to, to be a defender in especially in you know league two i was only sort of slight and and, and not the biggest so um I, I ended up playing left midfield for my first few occasions
0: and i guess going back to that what was your what was your first thought when you were told you were going to be playing left back rather than center midfield for the first time uh i wasn't too
1: I wasn't too happy. I'll be honest. Um, I've, if I'm being totally honest, I think my whole career I've been a sort of reluctant left back. i have not really. Yeah, I know it sounds funny, and people are like, "What are you talking about? You, you know, you played left back. You have done really well." But it's never. You know, I always wanted to be a playmaker. I wanted to be making the passes. I wanted to, uh, you know, be dictating play and, and playing the centre midfield. And uh, it probably come out in my game actually at left back because, luckily enough being a full-back back when I first come through, you know, you got a lot of the ball, you had to yeah. start all the attacks. So
0: it actually probably suited me better than centre midfield, um, if I'm being totally honest. Fair enough. Um, I guess I wanted to talk to you about something that I've asked a few former pros before, because obviously you're involved in the youth setup at Reading, which we'll move on to in a little bit in the future. Um, but what do you see as the main differences between the academies when you were coming through and now? And what do you think are the differences? Oh, uh Touching I'll try subject. not to be controversial. <laughs> yeah, listen, obviously there's a lot more money about even when
1: you're young now, but that's just part of the game. That's the, it's the yeah. business side of it. So that's not a massive issue, I don't think. I think there probably should be, and I think there are at certain clubs in terms of um, uh, a limit on what you can earn from a certain age. I think that would be important, really. Um, in terms of discipline and how you were treated, I mean, it's just the contrasts are unbelievable. I mean, we, we used to do lineal jobs, you know, we used to clean the toilets, yeah. clean the stands, paint the stands in the summer. You come in on your holidays and paint the stands. Um, it's just chalk and cheese. Clean the boots, pack the boots. Um, and if, you know, I remember I was in charge of packing the boots and I forgot to pack a pair once for the, for the first team game. And this Monday morning, the... Assistant Manager come in and we was all running, um, <laughs> and that's just the way it was back then. You know, you, you, you just got on with it. You, you didn't walk anywhere near the first team change room because if you got dragged in there, you were getting you were gonna get some stick. Um, get asked to do loads of different jobs, so you wouldn't go near there. Um, now it's it's just completely changed. I mean, you're, you're treated like professionals in such a young age now, and you're not even really even played a game for the first team so that's that's the biggest change i think
0: fair enough do you think it makes a difference to the type of player that's created the mentality of the player
1: um yeah i i I do but i think i think if you're if you're a good player and you've got the right mentality i think you'll come through whether it's back when i was coming through or if it's now i just think that the, the good ones will always still come through it's the ones that are sort of on that borderline that I think being back when I was coming through might help them with the discipline side of things. Yeah. Whereas now I think the ones that are sort of on that ball line, they can go the wrong way too soon because of how easy they've got it really.
0: And then I guess we'll, we'll move back and talk about you a bit more now, because you obviously had quite an illustrious career, which we'll get onto all the aspects of. And the first one after breaking through at Leighton Orient is obviously Reading, which became the, the main part of your career. So, yeah. Talk to us about your relationship with Reading and obviously the meteoric rise that Reading had over that three or four year period in the middle of your stint there.
1: Yeah, um, I remember when I I first went there and uh, it was just sort of like a trial for a week. So I'd only played five or six games at Orient at the time. And um, yeah, I went there for a week, done a trial, come back and I was back at Orient. um, And then Alan Pardew paid, I think, 25 grand for me at the time. (laughs) Um, and I remember going down there thinking it, it was just a different world um, but it just felt it just felt right right from the start and I, I was very lucky that I went there at a time when they were really pushing they had a you know decent budget yeah. I was in league what would be league one now um pushing for promotion and I just went there at the right time when the club was on the up and luckily for me you know it was only successful all the way through my whole time there, really. Yeah, we, you know, we had a couple of relegations later on, but to to take the club to the Premier League, first time it's ever been there, um, you know, it was, just, it was just sort of like it was meant to be. And um, I feel sort of lucky and privileged to, to have uh, had that move, really.
0: And I've got to ask a bit about that. That's sort of two years in the middle, The most notably the promotion to the Premier League and then that first season, which is obviously quite famous for the way you played in that season. How, yeah. how do you, going for fans behind the scenes, how do you keep that sort of momentum in-house? Because surely going up to the Premier League as underdogs, you're always expected to finish bottom. So how do you keep yeah. that in-house, that drive between you? Um, we had a very steady squad. We was together probably
1: or three years prior to that, so I think that was important. I think we we was all at a good age as well, we was all sort of trying to progress and we was all hungry and we'd never, none of us had ever been there before. Um, so once we sort of got on that sort of as you said momentum pushing forward um, you know it was it was like we was all together, we all, we all sort of knew each other so well on and off the pitch, it was quite easy to keep it going. You know, we all sort of bought into how how we was doing things at Reading. Um, we all pushed each other. We wouldn't let each other get away with things, um, and it was all driven from from us as players. And that's that's the great thing that Steve Popple did really was he allowed us to manage it. Of course, he he would have his eye on us, but he just got the right characters at the right time at the right age, and, and um, we, we sort of done the rest really.
0: And I guess the only other thing I wanted to ask on that is that fans and the media quite often pay attention to budgets and talk about transfers and things like that. Obviously, most of your rivals at the time were signing players within England and Europe for 15, 20 million and you were getting players for a few grand from Ireland and Iceland. So what was the, did that have any effect in-house? Did that did that bother you at all or did you feel the same? You think we're confident in what the manager's doing now?
1: No, I'll be honest. I remember coming back uh, the pre-season um, of the season that we got promoted, and we literally come back, and uh, there was about eight to ten players left. Um, yeah. We got we, we got rid of quite a few. Um, we think, thinking, "Oh, we're gonna have to sign some here." And we were all like talking to each other, thinking, "What's going to happen this season?" like, we want to sort of do well, but everyone sort of left. We haven't signed anyone yet, and then all of a sudden, we signed... Been Doyle and Shane Long, yeah. Um, you know people like this, and we're like, um, okay, <laughs> right? Is that is that it? Like, and no disrespect, yeah. no, never really before, and um, it was just the one of them seasons where it just worked. And as I said, I think the big the biggest thing was just the the hunger between the squad, and yeah. you know when you sign players like that, they're so hungry to do well. Um, you know, they yeah, they've never played at that level before, but. They, they had the drive and that was the biggest thing with, with Steve Puff. It was about the team. It was about the mentality and the the work ethic, really.
0: And then I guess moving towards the end of the Reading spell for you personally led to probably the most proud moment of most people's career, which is representing your country. And your two games weren't against the smallest opposition in the world. <laughs>
1: no, no, I got lucky there, didn't
0: I? I but what was that feeling to be called up for the national team? Because obviously joining Reading in League One or Division Two, as it was at the time, you probably wouldn't have thought that was ever going to happen. No,
1: no, it was just sort of like you're living in a dream world. Really, it was a bit surreal. Um, when people were talking about it, you, 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 you're sort of panicking but you're not. You're thinking it's never going to happen. Like, uh, and then when it did, it was, it was yeah, it was just like undescribable. Um, and you just felt like you was on this sort of conveyor belt and you just, listen, I don't ever want to get off this. So let's make it last as long as possible. Um, and then to play in the games that I did play in, especially the first one, uh, Brazil at the, at the new stadium, new Wembley. Yep. First game, senior game there. I mean, listen, no one will ever be able to take that away from me now. That's sort of down in history. So um, to get something like that in, in your career is, uh, you know, you've got to be pretty lucky. Absolutely.
0: And then I guess moving on club career-wise, your next moves then were to the Midlands. So we have Villa and West Brom. And at yeah. Villa obviously played in Europe as well. So did that? was that anything special to you? I know it was the qualifying rounds of the Europa League at first, but did that have any impact on you?
1: Yeah, it was great. I, I loved it. I loved it. I know, um, obviously, that was the only European competition that I get to, got to play in. I know sometimes it gets a bit of a, a bad rap these days, but um, it was great. We, I mean, we played against Ajax, I yeah. played against uh, Luis Suarez who was there, he played wide right and I was up against him directly <laughs> so you know it's great experience, played Hamburg away, CSKA Moscow away, yeah. uh, um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and at the time um, I was sort of in and out of the team playing in the Premier League but because they were pushing quite well in the Premier League then a lot of the uh, sort of players who weren't playing regularly got to play in the Europa League so it was, it was
0: ideal for me. And then I guess moving towards the end of your career as well. I know you went back to Reading and then had a few other clubs later on. But there's one that stands out to me that I want to ask about, which is the sort of circus or mini circus that went around the start of the Indian League. Yeah. Talk to me about that. What, how it came about, how you ended up there, and how did you find it? It was a bit of a strange one. Yeah. It was <laughs> when it first got
1: pitched to me, but it was my my dad was um, my dad's a chief scout and uh, he works at Reading. And um, that was sort of ringing around seeing what plows might be interesting. He just you know spoke to my dad, and my dad's well, my, my nick might be uh sort of interested in that. Um, and when he first said it to me, I was like, Are you sure about this? I'm not sure, is it safe? Is it this? Is that you obviously have a lot of questions, but um. Listen, when I first when I agreed to it and I and I went out there, I, I just I loved it straight away. The experience was such a positive experience for me. Um, played with some really good players. I think in our team we had Adrian Mutu, uh yeah. Tunchai from Middlesbrough, Didier yeah. Zakora, Roger Johnson, Steve Simonson. Uh, um there's so many sort of players out there at that time playing for other clubs as well. And it, it was a it was a great experience. It was really looked after. Um, you know up in lovely hotels, you travelled around the the country, um, and the football was good. It was a good level football, yeah. a bit of a slower pace, which probably suited us at that time. We were all getting <laughs> a bit older, so. Um, but I, I loved it out there. The fans were amazing. Um, I think the lowest crowd we got was about fifteen thousand. Wow. So, um, and then you had ones like 50,000, yeah. um, all in like the cricket stadiums, yeah. uh, pitch
0: in the middle. So that was a bit a bit weird but um, no, I loved
1: it really enjoyed it
0: brilliant and then I, I guess moving towards the end of your career I want to I want to ask about retirement because it's something I've touched on with every pro and they've all given different answers did you have a moment where you knew you were going to have to retire or was it a tiny moment within a game was it a big general thing an injury what was your moment I kind of knew
1: this and it's coming sooner rather than later I, I, I knew for probably two or three years before I actually did retire that it's coming. Uh, what you're going to do, and then panic mode sets in, and um, it was such a sort of sh- such a strange sort of transition. And it, you know, I probably haven't f- fully got over it. Really, I don't think you you sort of do. I mean, you just try and keep yourself busy. You, you you're lucky if you've got something set up where you can go straight into it. Yeah. Uh, you're lucky, but you're never going to be able to replicate being a professional footballer. never going to be able to replicate that feeling of going on the pitch in front of the fans and yeah. that moment in the change room when you come in and you've had a win and you're with your teammates. You know, you're know, just never going to be able to replicate it.
0: So it's, it's so difficult. It really is difficult. And I guess for you, you've sort of found a bit of solace by staying in the industry. So talk to us about how that came about. Was it something you always wanted to do or was it something you sort of stumbled upon? <laughs> sort of stumbled upon. I mean, I first went...
1: Um, went to Stevenage um, to train just to keep fit because I was still looking to play. Um yeah. My dad knew Glenn Roder really well when Glenn was working there with Darren Saul. So I went there and I was training uh, and I said listen we, we're looking for a coach to help us a little bit as well, would you fancy just do you fancy doing that? And then I sort of just fell into that. I had my, my coaching license that I'd done the previous summer so um that worked out well. I've done that for two seasons, done the coaching. Um, enjoyed being being out there with the lads, felt like you know the coaching probably might not be for me. Um, so then I sort of, my dad's been a chief scout for many, many years. I've obviously seen him do it and I, I quite like the, the sort of scouting side of things, the recruitment and what goes into that. to so started doing that part-time at, at Millwall after I left Stevenage. Um, Enjoyed that, and then this role come up at, uh, at Reading, obviously my old club. So jumped at a chance, full time, um, doing doing the recruitment for the academy uh, at the higher age groups. So um, it was something that listen, football's been been in my life since I was a kid. My dad's done it for for yonks, so um, it was always something that I was going to look to get into.
0: Fair enough. And I guess before we move on to the big question at the end, I'll ask you a few quickfire ones, which are, relating to your career, the best yeah. player you played with? Uh, Steven Gerrard. It's not a bad answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, best player you played against?
1: Oh. Tough
0: one. Uh, <laughs> uh, probably Ronaldo. I'd have to put Ronaldo up there. Again, not a bad answer to be able to give and probably came up directly against him as well. I'm yeah, <laughs> yeah, no,
1: I did, yeah. So it's uh, always interesting.
0: And then finally, you've had a few good ones, but the best manager on there as well for the quick voice. <laughs> oh, this is a tough one. Uh, I've got a couple really for probably
1: different reasons. Uh, Alan Pardew was a, was a good one for me when I was a young kid. He really, he really knew how to sort of drive you on To be ambitious, Um, I remember when I first signed for him at Reading. He said, "You know, you got to, you got to think about playing for England and things like this." And you know, when at the time I think I've just signed for Reading in League One, like what what are you going on about? Um, He was really good for me to to instil that ambition in myself. Um, Steve Koppel obviously is is a standout. Just sometimes you 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 get managers at a time when when you kind of need him and he was perfect for me at that time. I sort of was at a good age, I kind of let, he let you sort of manage yourself, but when he when he spoke, he didn't speak very often, but when he did speak, you, you paid attention and it was always good information. He was good. Um, other ones, I'd have to say Roy Hodgson again was similar to sort of, similar in ways to Steve Popple, uh and different in other ways. He was sort of i'll never forget his enthusiasm for the game and his knowledge and i mean he would be on the training ground doing every practice showing you how to defend and he would literally be doing it even at his age you'd be like listen if he can do it i'll I'll better pay attention so um he was good for me probably them three really
0: fair enough and then i guess we'll move on to the the big question at the end the name of the series and you'll probably have two because you've been both a player and a football fan. And we would like to ask you what your favourite football game was as a player and a fan and why? As a player, <coughs> it's got,
1: obviously taking out the, the England games, I mean, they were just something different. They they just, of, of, that's an obvious answer. But uh, for me, it was probably against West Ham. I think it was New Year's Day at the Day Stadium. We beat them 6-0. Uh, that would be my standout as a player. Um as a fan, uh, it'd probably be one of my first sort of Arsenal games when when my dad took me and my brother to Highbury to watch one of my first Arsenal games. We were all big sort of Arsenal fans, so um, that would be a standout for me in terms of really getting me
0: hooked. Brilliant! And Highbury, obviously, a wonderful stadium, so no problem with you picking that at all. And yeah. my co-host Charlie will be delighted that you picked beating West Ham six 0 as a West Ham fan. <laughs> Uh, thanks very much for your time Nicky we do appreciate it and if there's anyone who's got any comments to make for Nicky put them down below and let us know what you think but thanks Nicky we do appreciate it that's it for this episode a big thanks to Nicky again for joining us if you did enjoy it please do put a thumbs up on the video let us know any comments you have down in the comments and subscribe to the channel for regular interviews and new content from the Honest Football Podcast and hopefully we'll see you next time